0: We're here to meet with God to hear what He's saying, because His Word is life. He is the Author of creation. You know, just like when you uh, when you ever do any maintenance in your home, which I'm not really good at doing that, but you know, we did a little maintenance thing here a couple weeks ago or a couple days ago actually, and Jonathan was working on the the furnaces and he flushed some things out and somebody was telling me how much work he did. And uh, there's just something about when you when you do some maintenance on something, when you renew it, when you make things that are starting to fall apart, you make them new. When you put new parts in, when you clean things up, it just, you get a, this great sense inside yourself of accomplishment. This is great. You know, it's like, man, we've just aligned this. That thing is set. You know, spiritually... Every time you meet with God, that's what's happening. Is, is He's setting things in place, He's cleaning things, He is uh, changing parts, He is renewing. He is, he is aligning you so that you function in a way more like you were made and meant to function. And that's why we need God, because He is, he is the ultimate status symbol for what we need to be. He is the measuring tool. And if you don't know what you need to be as a father, if you don't know what you need to be as a Christian, if you don't know what you need to be as a a male or a female, all of these things come into alignment when you meet God. All these things come into alignment when you get to know God. The knowledge of God imparts to you uh, that plumb line for what you you were destined to be, who you are, who you really are is never fully realized and aligned until you come into the presence of God. And so that's why we, one of the reasons we come together is for that alignment to happen into, into our lives. So Father, we want to say to you today that we want to say thank you first for your love, that your love gives us the boldness to come into your presence So that we can experience that alignment, so that you can clean our parts, so that you can flush us out, that you can renew us with your mercy and your love, and that your truth can fix everything that ails us. And so, Lord, we say we long for you. In you is life. In you is correct operation in you as the creator is original intent and we say lord we want to find our original intent we want to know who we were called to be who are we are meant to be so lord we draw near to you today we run hard after you so let's take this time to really seek him because we genuinely need him this morning you know, there's a proverb that says, it says, uh, Do not go often to, near, to your neighbor's house, lest by coming you weary him. And sometimes I think we think of God that way, that, you know, the, I keep making the same mistakes over and over again, and there's this fear, this sense, this foreboding that if, if I don't get this right, he is going to grow weary of me, and he's going to write me off. And what this song is really saying is, no, the love of God, the mercy of God that's new every morning, extends way past how many ever times it'll take you to try and fail. That you can try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And He will not grow weary of you the way your neighbor might, the way even sometimes good friends do or family members. So we want to just enter into that confidence that God... Your love never fails. We declare it right now. Lord, your love never fails and your mercies are new every morning. You won't give up on us. Lord, give us the boldness today to run into your presence no matter what our condition is today. Because your love is enough. Your love is enough. Your love is enough. enough. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. God came to the earth in the form of a man and died after a pattern that was set through Judaism, where the blood of a nation Or I mean, the sins of a nation were redeemed by the blood of a lamb, and Jesus came to be the lamb of God, to wipe away that thing that separates you from God. So, Father, we want to thank you today for your love, that you loved us so much that you created a way for us to be with you. And we love you for that. Can you say amen? Alright, this morning I was thinking about a time some years ago, I had graduated from Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas, and I had gone on a uh, six-month mission, five-month mission to, to, um, to Australia. And I got there and I was working in a church, and uh, the leader that I was working under Uh, I didn't find him too friendly. I felt like he didn't like me, and uh, there were some things going on. And the problem, of course, as it is with humans, is he didn't like me, (laughs) which is not too hard to imagine. Uh, Sometimes I can be a little difficult, but, uh, you know, like I say, the more people get to know me, the more they like my wife. So, uh, and this is the complexity of human relationships, but he as a leader, of course, was bringing up all my father issues, all my fears about people in authority, all of, you know, what happens with, uh, and we don't, I don't want to get too deep into this, but what happens with people in authority is whatever experiences you had, as soon as you see anything remotely the same, you, right away, you jump to conclusions, you jump to judgments, saying, well, you're just like my father, you're just like this, and... And, and you, we, we want to categorize people. We want to categorize our relationships. So we tend to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. But unfortunately, sometimes some of these things are actually true. And, and, and people don't like us. And, but I remember, you know, he was a uh, very distant kind of uh, a, a figure. And I was talking to his daughter one day. And his daughter's saying to me, listen, he's not that bad. He's, she's, she says, his, his bite is not nearly as bad as his bark. And she's saying, oh, you know, he's, he's really, you know, and she's trying to sort of get me to sort of not fear or not be concerned about this sense of distance. And unfortunately, I, didn't, I couldn't buy it in that context because, well, you are his daughter. You know, there is a certain security that you have as his daughter that even if he's gruff, and even if there is some tension in the relationship, you are by blood connected, I am not. And so there is this, this, this sense that he doesn't really have any permanent connection with me. There's no good reason why, you know, other than if he actually was that kind of a loving being... That, that you know, if he could actually, if I could be convinced that he loves me in a way that is permanent, then this fear would go away. This fear that if I do the wrong thing, I'm out of here. If I don't please him sufficiently as a leader, I'm gone. And so, you as the daughter have that assurance. I do not. Now, that's a human... Relationship and, and in some way the, the parallels are not the same, but there's a similar kind of a dynamic in our relationship with God where, where, uh, where we can either have or not have that confidence. Let me read a passage of Scripture. You, you know this very well, but it says this. It says, uh, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So this scripture, Paul is using this the, the imagery of slave versus sons, because that was what was typical in that time, in that season, that, that in a household, when he, when he had a wealthy man, he had, he had heirs, and then he had slaves. And he, he's basically given this analogy that, that you can be either a slave or a son, and what God is doing is he's giving you a spirit of sonship so that the fear that motivates a slave, because he always knows that if I just don't do things just right, I'll be so, sold on the open market, but a son doesn't have that fear because there's a sense of permanence in his connection with the, the master of the house because he's his father. And so here's the reality in the context of our life and what I experienced with this, this leader in my life that, that I didn't have the confidence that his love was the love of a father. I didn't have the confidence and and you know I, I think it was probably correct in this case because men are imperfect. But... This, unfortunately, trans, translates over to our relationship with God. And many of us are stuck in that place where we, we are Christians, we come to church, we maybe are born again, we have something, but we have the mindset of a slave still. We have the mindset that if I just don't do the right thing, then I'm, I'm gone. I am, I'm out. I'm disinherited. I'm, I have this loss. And, and there's a fear then that drives us. And what Paul is saying here is this. He said, there is a spirit of adoption that can wipe away all of that fear. That you can be completely free. And, I mean, uh, now when you have that, that brings certain challenges in your life. And, and, but I, I don't want to go too much into that. But I want to say this, is that what is missing in our lives is the knowledge of who he is that arrests that fear so i just want to pray right now father in as much as we do not have the knowledge of god in as much as we do not have the revelation of who you are as our father and we are still walking in fear striving uh that tyranny that thing that like a dark cloud hangs over our heads and uh, affects every decision, every thought, every every passion, every moment. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus amen. that you would bring us into the fullness of sonship. That you would bring us into the fullness of knowing your love. Can you say amen? amen. That's r- really what it's about. And that's that's where it starts. Because... There's a lot of things God wants to impart to you about who he is, about his kingdom. He wants to equip you to function and, and to, to rule and reign with him for eternity. Unfortunately, the first thing that has to be established in your life is not what you need to do as a servant of God or, or, or this or that. It is the love of God establishing you. If the love of God is not establishing you, you can't go any further because everything is tilted. Everything is skewed. In the, you know, it's like God can't even ask you to do something if you have a mindset of a slave because you will do it with the mindset of a slave. The mindset of a son is completely different. Two people working alongside, one has the mindset of a slave, the other one has a mindset of a son. They're doing the same thing, but they're doing it from completely opposite places. Thus, the product of what they're doing is very, 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 very different. So, I mean, I, I'm, and I'm saying this not to say, hey, you're a slave, smarten up, but to say there's something in you that wants to know that love, that, and, and that there's a desire in you that wants to know it, and I want to I fan the flame of that desire because that is uh, such an essential thing. Uh, but anyway, last week, we started to talk about some of this. You remember what we talked about last week from Matthew 25? Matthew 25, there's one of those parables where uh, there's a a guy who gives uh, talents. It says, and I can't remember how it was even introduced. I'm not going to go to it today. But it's talents. One receives ten talents. One receives five talents. And one receives one talents. One talent. Now, we're not talking about abilities here necessarily. We're not talking about, you know, one, one guy could sing and play the piano and ride a unicycle, you know, and juggle and, you know, uh, we're, we're talking about just, you know, we're not necessarily talking about abilities in that sense. But the point is this, is that when when the guy comes back to bring an account to what have you done with the thing that was given to you, the last guy who got the least amount, he, he didn't do anything. He went and took his talent and he buried it. And you remember what happened? Anybody remember what happened? Anybody ever read that passage of Scripture? It's in the Bible. All right? So basically, the response of the guy who comes who didn't do anything, he says, I didn't do anything, but here's your talent back. Uh, I buried it in the ground because I knew you were an austere man. I knew you were a hard man. And he, and he goes on. And he says, uh, So here, here's, here's what's important who you believe that master to be will determine what you do with what he gives you. Right? Not who he actually is, but who you believe him to be. And this is what dictates to our relationships with God here. As, as we each have some calling, some function, some, some thing that God wants us to, to walk in faithfully, what, what you do with what He's giving you is going to hinge on what, who you believe him to be. Now, how skewed is your view of Him. You know, we talk about dysfunctional families, and I don't think anybody tries purposely to be a dysfunctional family. Right? Yeah, we're you know, we we're shooting for, you know, a high level of dysfunction here in our family, and I think we've touched it. Nobody actually shoots for that. It sort of happens by... It, it, the conglomerate of knowledge that has been passed down to you through experiences and mentoring and modeling and, and you know, whatever has happened to you in your life forms what you're, you know, even if you're sincere, even if you're trying to do good, if you don't have a proper knowledge of what that good should look like, you have no capacity to enter into that good. No capacity whatsoever. And that's our challenge. And so what the paradigm of the scripture sets up is that God himself is is that order. God himself is that template. God himself has in him what's necessary for us to snap to grid, to align to him, and to be who we are meant to be as a son, as a daughter, as a friend, as a mother, as a father, as a worker, whatever it is. The knowledge of who we need to be is all in him. And so the whole journey of our life can be mapped out this way, that you are simply growing in the knowledge of God and that each incremental step forward gives you the capacity to be who you're meant to be. Because I'm telling you, when people do things wrong... You know, well, you know we can we can make mistakes, but you know when usually when you're talking about dysfunction like in families, families do things on purpose because they think generally they're right. We discipline our kids this way because we think it's right. We, we demand this or do not demand this of our children because we think it's right. We send our kids to school. We punish them this way. We reward them this way. We encourage them this way. We, disc- we talk to them that way. We do all these things because at some point we believe they're to be right. And only occasionally do we do the wrong thing. We go back and we say, yeah, that was the wrong thing. But the point is what we're missing is like this guy is the knowledge of God. Well, there is another passage in Luke where the other parable, which I I referenced briefly last week, and I'm going to read it to you. And I didn't, uh, it's it's called the parable of the minas. I don't even know what a mina is. I think I used to know. I thought it was an uh, amount of money or something. Yeah, it's an amount of money. Anyway, so uh, Luke 19, verse 12. I'll quickly read through it. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So what is this about? Good job. (laughs) This is about receiving a kingdom. Who receiving? Jesus receiving a kingdom. Jesus has come to the earth and he's returning to heaven, but he's come to receive a kingdom. What he did, you know, when, when he laid his life down, he's inheriting... The universe. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, so he came and, as part of of uh, receiving the kingdom, he he gives something to us and then he goes away for a time. So, this is all about the kingdom of God. It's so it's important that we understand that this is not. You know, we can apply this to so many temporal things in our life, but it's really in the bigger picture about the kingdom of God. That will run and exist forever and ever and ever. So he called ten of his servants to deliver to them ten minas and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And, um, and it was it, it, so it was that when the, he returned, having received the kingdom, He then commanded these servants to whom he had been given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much each man had gained by trading. Then he came to the first and said, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. He said to him, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you. Sounds familiar, eh? For I feared you because you are on a man. You collect what you do not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. It's interesting. We can go into all kinds of political implications of these things because they do have political implications for our life. But basically, there's almost this, this perspective, and I won't get into it too much, but there's this perspective that it's wrong to gain money from investment. It's wrong to actually reap from the labors of, that others are laboring. That that somehow is an expression of evil. It's actually part of the kingdom of God. It's part of a system That creates wealth in the nations because it's essentially tied into who God is. Anyway, we don't want to go into too much of that. But verse 23 Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And so he said to those who stood by him, Take that minor from him and give it to the him who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minors. I thought you were fair. I thought you were a just judge. I thought you were all about equality. Well, I didn't actually say that, but they were thinking it. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want to reign me to reign over them and slay them before me. So anyway... This is gentle Jesus sharing this story, right? Baby in a manger, come and slay them before me. Anyway, we don't want to get into that, but I'm telling you the nuances of everything that Jesus says, the implications of everything that he says, every, every, every story, Every it goes into every realm of our life. And so that's why it's so important. Let me put this out there again and again. To read the Word of God to meditate on the Word of God because the, the thoughts of God the perspectives of God the philosophy that God has around uh, around rulers around uh, authority around around finance around production around wealth around uh, if all of those things are actually contained in his attitude and his thoughts and it's part of coming into a line but let's talk for a second about mr. austere man you are an austere man once again as I said last week the master does not quibble with the guy's perception because he you know realizes well it's really it's just a phony excuse because a I'm not that B even though even if I was that there was more that you could have done but you didn't do that at all either and so what that means is coupled with this fear that you have of me as an austere man is somehow resentment to, about serving me. There's a resentment about, you know, almost, uh, you know, under the, attached to that, there's this resentment that I don't even want to do anything that profits you. He said, listen, you, I, okay, so you feared me, but you could have at least done this. Why didn't you do that? So there's no escape whatsoever from accountability here but let's get back to the main the main point the main point is this is that who he believed to God God was dictated everything else you know if you if you are working with somebody and you have an employer and you love that employer and you know he's faithful and you know he's generous and you know he he's he's not trying to crush you you know you you are inspired to want to work hard and increase the company how many of you work for companies that you're inspired by, you want to see the, the company increase. You know, some of us are, right? All the uh, self-employed people put up their hand. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, I want the company to increase, you know. Uh, so your attitude about the owner, your attitude about uh, where the where my in, industrious efforts are going to what they are producing has a great deal of bearing on how faithful you're going to be so here we come back to this issue of who are we as christians today you know one of the things uh i run into again and again and again is around this issue of legalism fear sonship works you know uh People are very fond of saying, well, you know, we're not saved by, by works, but by grace. Do you know that Adam and Eve did works before they fell? Did you know that they worked in the garden? Do you know the problem is not work? The problem is what you think you get out of work. And so Adam and Eve were there tilling the ground and doing what was necessary in the garden and there was no heaviness, there was no weight, there was no sense of being crushed, or, you know, if they didn't do it, there was this penalty. They, they were just, they were interacting with being, being efficient, being industrious in a world, because the, this, this component of sin had not yet entered. And when the component of sin entered, it suddenly changed everything. So, uh, when, you, when you get saved and God gives you the spirit of sonship it doesn't mean suddenly well now you don't have to work you don't have to produce anything because adam and eve were producing before sin entered so it's not the question of producing or not producing and that's what this parable is one of the things it's hinting to As as a person in the kingdom of god we are meant to function in a way that produces something for the kingdom of god the question that needs to be answered is what foundation are you doing that from are you doing that from a foundation of fear guilt are you doing it from a, a foreboding that if I don't do the right thing, I will be disowned as a son. Therefore, I begrudgingly do it. I do it with resentment. I do it because I'm being forced to. I do it because if I don't do this, my parents are going to kick me out of the house. I have to go to church. I ah, don't really want to go to church. don't really want to worship God. Don't want to... So as, as, as a Christian in your life today, to what degree... Do these motivations work in your life? Well, there's no tool that we can put you in, you know, we can't put you in a scanner and say, okay, you're at about 15%. I I wish we could, but that's what God is doing right now in our lives. And he's saying, listen, I want to shift the source of your strength because if the source of your strength... If the source of your motivation, if the source of your desire is rooted in the knowledge of me, then it will empower all of your efforts, not only to do, but in terms of what it produces after you do. But to the degree that death is at work, and that's what the that's what the other thing is. There is either life or death at work inside of us, and there are always degrees of either, and that's that's what Paul was saying when he, when he talked about sin coming forth. And he said, I don't understand why, because I want to do good, but I can't. He said, listen, there's two things at work inside of me. And today, even if you're a Christian, there are two things at work inside of you. But which one is increasing and which one is decreasing is not based on effort. It's not based on sincerity. It's not based on, on perception of the world around you. It's based on your perception of of him, who you actually believe him to be? What is he really? Is he an austere man? Is he to be feared? Do you dread the presence of God? When you come into the presence of God, do you, is there things? How much? How many? You know, anchors are being pulled away. Is like, oh, I I don't I just don't want to. And how often do those forces dominate or dictate to your mindset? I have this sort of picture in my mind of a, of a man trying to walk in a direction but has all these fishing hooks tied into him and then, you know, fishing line pulling him in this, this direction. And, and, and that's the question is how many, how many things are pulling you into something that is not the direction you mean to go, you want to go. And how do you deal with those things? How do you escape from those things? The knowledge of God. That's why in John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is life that they may know you. And the point is this. If you really knew, if you really knew who God was, that would solve everything. That would solve everything. So we can, we can look at our lives and we can say, well, this is the problem, this is the problem, this is the problem. No, those are all symptoms of the problem. What you like to do, what you don't like to do, what, you, what wearies you, what, what causes you. Those are all symptoms. It's everything is rooted in this. Who do you know him to be? That's why Jesus, when he was discipling the disciples, and he said to them, he said, Who do men say that I am? And they gave an answer. And then he said, Who do you say that I am? And out of that encounter, Peter says that powerful thing. He He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to that and says, On this, I'm going to build my kingdom. What is he saying to us? He's saying, Listen. I'm building my kingdom, and I'm looking for ground to do it, and the ground that I'm doing it is your knowledge of me. When you can't do it, it means there's an absence of knowledge of me. When you you miss the mark, when you sin in your life, you're missing something of the knowledge of me. I, I guarantee everything that ails us, everything that results in imperfection in our lives, or everything that results in perfection in our lives is based in him whether we know him or not and so the whole pursuit of our life is i want to know you i want to know you and that's why that's what paul said in philippians he said oh that i might know him in the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of sufferings and you know people get but don't you already know him paul don't you already know him i mean you seem like you know him and he said no there's there's more more because I can still feel that drag on my my being that's coming from another knowledge or incorrect knowledge I want to know him I want to draw closer to him I want to be purified I want to be changed so and this is the this is the the dynamic we we wrestle with as Christians today, even in this because Oh, now I know I need to know Him. One more thing I need to do. Right? Isn't that tragic that that is the lens through which we are affected to look at everything? Is obligation? What does that tell you? That tells you what is at work in you, whether it's law or grace. And what God's trying to do is say, listen, just start acknowledging that there's law at work that causes guilt, and shame, and 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 all of these things, and that's what is holding you down. Those are the hooks that are in you, and they they're, they may not be, they may not be in the person next to you who's doing the same thing, and you may think, well, they're probably doing it with a guilty conscience too, and you know they don't they resent doing that, and they're just doing it to curry favor or you know to show God. You don't know that for sure. The only question is. What's happening inside of you? What is going on? What is the catalyst? Is it life or is it death? So God is shifting these things in our life. Well, how how is it happening exactly? There's no science to it in the sense that I can't give you objective measurements because we're all different. And we're all starting from a different place. But what we do as leaders spiritually, we say, this is what the Word of God says. This is the truth of what God is saying. And now, they, oh, all right. As a young Christian, you go, wow, that's great. I'm, I'm going to do these things. And you start to do them. And you just when you think you're getting good at it, God comes and He says, yeah, about that. All the motivation... Pretty much is coming from a fear. You're like, oh, man, I thought I was doing so good. Well, it's all right. Because what happened right there in that moment, it was you saw more of him, which caused you to see more of yourself, which brought a change. So that at the end of the day, what's happening incrementally, mystically in our lives is that we are coming to moments where we are seeing him more clearly and when we see him more clearly then we see ourselves more clearly and it just shifts what happens in your life so you don't even have to worry about Ben you don't have to worry about me you don't have to worry about Ken how much legalism is in Ken's heart or my heart or others it doesn't even matter because the only thing that really affects your service to God is how much legalism and how much of the knowledge of God's love is at work in your heart? That's the only thing that determines the quality of your service to God. Nothing else matters. Nothing else really matters. Your ability to even submit to leaders or honor leaders or honor your wife or husband or anybody in your life, whether it's a, a, an unsaved boss or has nothing to do with who he is has everything to do with just who you are. God has a plan to bring the power of his kingdom through your life, through the knowledge of him. And I encourage you this week, go to your Bible and and, and think of that phrase, the knowledge of God or the knowledge of him. And I challenge you to start reading in the Bible, meditating on the passages, every place it says that, because it happens again and again and again and again and again. It is the epicenter of the kingdom of God, is the knowledge of Him. Yeah, sure, come on in. I just want to add to that for a second, because it's just kind of been so clear here as, as Pastor Mark's been speaking. The original sin that Adam and Eve partook in was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So really, the knowledge of good and evil is is law, is death. And the knowledge of God is the tree of life. We can eat from the tree of life because we can, in fact, pursue the knowledge of God and eat from the knowledge of God. And so we can... In, in many ways because of, of what Christ has done and because the Holy Spirit is with us, we have access to a tree that that Adam and Eve lost access to. And that's what it comes down to. So Father, I wanna thank you for what you're doing in our life and we want to say right now, even if we didn't think this ten minutes ago, we are not content With the way we see you we want to see you more clearly we want to know you father I pray that nobody in this room will ever have the experience of standing before you and trying to justify their failure by saying you are too hard God you are too hard because Lord you are love you are merciful. You are, you are full of understanding. You know our frame and that you know we are dust. And you love us and you give us every opportunity and you've provided for us power to do everything that you've ever hinted that we are called and obligated to do. So Lord, we are going to be without excuse. So Lord, we say right now, we lean into the knowledge of you. We want to know who you are reprogram reshape redefine lord make the crooked places straight in our lives we say in the name of jesus lord all those crooked places those those ways of thinking lord that we have come down from even maybe our natural fathers or bosses or the absence of fathers that 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 not only color how we see leaders in our lives and bosses but they color how we see you even though we have the right theology lord we cannot escape the truest convictions of our heart as a man believes in his heart so is he so father change change god how we believe in our hearts we say in the name of jesus lord we cry out to you can you just ask god right now lord god Lord God, we want more of you. We need more of you. I ask you, Lord, we want to see who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.